All right, guys, welcome back to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Kaminsky, stepping in for the fearless Dave Dubois as he works on the next big thing. Uh, if you've ever been, you know, especially for the Canadians listening along and you're thinking, I, I got to get out of here, winter's coming. There's uh, different ways to get out of, out of town um, and real estate can help you do that. But today on the show, I've got a very special guest, Alan Siebenhaller, and he's been able to get down there, stay down there, and move into real estate in a big way, 20-year career, done lots of stuff, helped lots of people. Alan, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So the the first question, like every networking event, you're standing there shaking hands and they're like, how did you get started in real estate? So tell people the origin story and then ultimately how you got addicted to the, the real estate game. Yeah. Yeah, I got started in real estate my dad worked his way up in a factory his whole life. He started 18 years old in Minnesota and driving the forklift and worked his way up just in that factory and got promoted. We moved around a bit as he got promoted because it was a national company. And mm -hmm. then uh, he about 40 years old, he was middle management. The re a recession hit. They Someone bought out the company and laid off all the managers and he was unemployed without a college degree. And um, I was I were about to go to college and we did, we just had no idea what our future looked like in a recession with, mm -hmm. you know, no college degree. And, and uh, it was really a tough time. And it made me realize um, that I wanted to have more financial control of my future. I did not want to just work my way up in a company and rely on that completely. And so mm -hmm. I was looking for alternatives. I had a friend whose dad did really well in real estate. He was both a, a broker and an investor. And so I just said, hey, can I do an internship with you? And this, I was a senior in high school and I did an internship with this guy. I got my real estate license. My dad actually got his real estate license at the same time. And uh, then I, I, came, I came to California and, and went to college, went to Pepperdine University and kind of forgot about real estate for a while, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then I picked it back up not long after I got out of college, got my license here in California, and I started in commercial real estate because I wanted to learn how to become an investor. I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and mm -hmm. I was all in on getting on the investment side of real estate. And so I started in commercial real estate and learned a ton of ropes, learned a lot from the people I was working with. And um, yeah, that was my start. So- what type of real estate was it? Was it like apartments? Was it like uh, commercial spaces, like um, strip malls and things like that? What were you selling right out the gate? Yeah, it was everything. I started when I started commercial real estate, it was a little bit of everything. And that was fantastic for me because I really got a great education doing that. Mm. I worked under a guy that was just super connected and, and people were bringing him deals that were uh, uh, retail strip centers apartment buildings, warehouses, um, office buildings, you know, we, we just worked on it all. And I did not make a lot of money getting started uh, working, you know, I started low on the totem pole. But yeah. what I was learning was way worth anything they could pay me. And then I eventually branched off on my own as an agent. And then, you know, slid my way into my first fixer property. Yeah, I was gonna ask. So People, people kind of like, uh, not a lot of real estate agents make it, you know, a lot of people get licenses and then it ends up being that 
card in their wallet when they're going through their old wallet. They're like, oh yeah, I used to be a real estate agent. So, you know, you, you cut your teeth learning the transactional part and like the, why someone would buy something, which is an interesting way to go. And it's almost because they're pay essentially paying you to learn like why someone would buy anything and how to like talk to the sellers because you're dealing with sellers all day as, a, as an agent. So after, after, you know, you were mentioning the recession, what year did you actually get your license in California? Yeah, I got my license in, let's see, that would have been 2001. So I rode the California market up a bit until about 2007. Mm -hmm. uh, and then went through that whole debacle, you know, the Great Recession. Yeah, um, I remember it on the news. You know, we had them up and they're like, we're going to bail out everyone, 2008. So yeah. Is that when you decided to start grabbing some property? Uh, I actually already had a, uh, let's see, I had two properties already. I had a condo and a fourplex, both in the Culver City neighborhood of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And both were major fixers when I bought them and, and I'd, I'd fixed them up and um, rented them out. And, um, and then when 2006 came around, ironically, I started feeling uncomfortable financially. Um, and I, I thought it was just for me personally, because these properties had gone up in value in a relatively quick amount of time, but I was not seeing as much cash flow. I wasn't seeing mm -hmm. as much income coming in. And I wanted to take that equity and put it to work in a cash flow property. So I sold the condo and I did a 1031 exchange, which is a tax deferred exchange. You sell one mm -hmm. property and you buy another and you don't touch the money. It goes to an accommodator and then goes into the new property. And I bought a 12 unit in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Nice. With that condo. And then um, the four unit, I moved towards selling that. And then I bought a 48 unit in Texas. And same thing, I did a 1031 exchange. So you can imagine that definitely helped the cash flow situation because I moved from you know, one unit to 12 and then four to 48. Both yeah. of those properties were also fixers, which we renovated and, you know, raised the rents on. And then we were able to, you know, in a sense, sail through the recession with that rental income coming in because mm -hmm. it didn't matter if the values in those properties went down. What mattered is how much the rental income was and the rental income did not go down at all during the recession. No, um, typically so it doesn't, a, right? Yeah, typically it doesn't. I mean, it, you can have in some markets, you can have some, you know, rental declines, but would you say if, we're uh, in a recession right now as someone who's been in the game? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, first of all, if, if I was just to answer yes or no, it, it's obviously it's not that easy of a question. I would say no, but th there's, you know, there is indicators that are lagging. There's there's definitely issues, um, but it's not like overall recession right now. Yeah. It's not like everything's just in the in the tank sort of thing. Um, so I, I would say we're not right now. There's certain indicators, especially if we're talking about real estate, which would be yeah. my expertise, uh, that would say we're we're definitely not in a real estate recession right now. I can tell you that. Um, so. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my answer. You can dig into that deeper if you want. Well, it's, it, you know, it's, we're definitely seeing the heat come off of the last run, like, especially yeah. here and across the country. And 
and a lot of the overvalued um, positions in the United States, a lot of the like cash flowing areas, especially in Canada and in the United States, are still cash flow areas. But that vanity seems to have evaporated from the market, whereas you were getting people running up with all this extra money. They were like overpaying for things and this like yes. these bidding wars. And now, you know, in our, in our last like networking meeting, they said, okay, we're in a balanced market. It doesn't feel like a balanced market. It still feels a little bit on the slow side of the balanced market, but apparently we're in a balanced market. So that that's good for both buyers and sellers, buyers getting better deals, sellers getting better deals, and it, it keeps the economy. But I am seeing an overall um, number of properties waiting to be purchased. That That is something that, that I'm noticing. What are you seeing on your end? Yeah, that's definitely true. There's less buyers. So it's that would make it, you know, it was unbalanced when you had 10 to 20 offers on a property. That's that yeah. was that was out of whack. And as an investor, it's really hard for me to make money in that type of market because we make money when we buy. Right. Of course, I could 100%. sell, um, but I don't like selling. Uh, <laughs> but but if it is a peak and and there's a reason to sell or move the money into something else, then then you can make money that way. But the hard part is if you sell, which I did, I actually sold a 72 unit uh, at the peak of the multifamily market, which was last February. So February, mm -hmm. 2022, we, we closed on the selling side of the 72 unit. And I, I tried to do a 1031 exchange and I, I couldn't find anywhere to place the money uh, the, the, that made sense. Like it was mm -hmm. just and anything I went after, there was so many offers on it that I'd barely even get a response. And so that's the challenge, right? When a, when a market is out of balance. And so I love a balanced market. I love when there's even fear in the market. So there's a lot yeah. of fear right now of interest rates and, and maybe recession fears and all these other fears. That's the sort of market where I can move into as a buyer and start finding properties that I can cherry pick, um, add value, reposition them or whatever. And I might not have any competition on it. So that's exciting. Yeah. We're seeing, we're seeing that definitely as well as like, you know, people used to overbid the junk properties. Like, why are you paying so much? And yeah. maybe they could afford it because they didn't have like a financing position that was like an investor. They're just like, Oh, I've got some money. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to go to home Depot or Lowe's or whatever and do it myself. And they can maybe make some money, but it was certainly pushing guys like myself out because like I'm not paying 20 over that's the whole margin on this thing so um just to back it up a little bit you said you moved your property from California you sold some of that stuff and you moved into these larger uh, multi-units like the 12 and I think it, you said 48 right correct um was there a discrepancy like how did you finance that was the California property just like over overvalued and then in Oklahoma you're like oh I can buy an apartment for the cost of a house like some markets are like that so how did you finance yeah. the multifamily after coming out um of those properties that you had initially had yeah yeah the financing is the exciting part on both of those actually so on the 12 unit we sold the condo bought the 12 unit the 12 unit was a fixer uh, mm -hmm. both of the, the apartment buildings were fixers but the 12 unit I got a construction loan. So I went to a few of the local banks and I said, Hey, I'm buying this property for this much. And when I'm done renovating it, it's going to be worth this much. And mm -hmm. I'd like a loan both on the purchase 
and I'd like a loan on the construction. And they, they said, hey, as long as we can verify those numbers you're giving us with an appraiser, we'll do it. We'll do the loan. You put you put the 20% down and then we'll lo- lend you on the property and on the construction. And then, you know, you make draw as you're doing your yeah, construction, you, your you take photos and you get your draws. The 48 unit was even more interesting. That was a seller finance deal. So the way I okay. found that is I wrote letters. I pulled title for everyone in this area. It was Victoria, Texas was the town I was focused on because I knew someone there and they really, really loved the town. And I wrote letters to every owner um, that owned over, uh, I think it was over like 30 units. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, if you're interested in selling your multifamily property, please call me. This is my direct cell phone number. I had someone help me handwrite the envelopes. We had a really good open rate. And I probably mailed 150 letters and got 10 calls. And so that's yeah, a 10%, really good. 10%. That's a really good. That's like double yeah. a regular return rate. And you yeah. can find that too when you do something the average person isn't. You know, you did the work that someone else is like, that's too much. I'll just check the realtor website and see if there's any apartment blocks. And no, there's not because that's easy, right? And usually that barrier to entry opens up uh you know kind of like a blue ocean for you to you know say oh i've got 10 10 10 conversations on 100 letters that's huge so yeah um finance that with the vendor so what was the what was the actual um the t- the total cost of those units in texas yeah that one he basically told me he's asking 1.8 million on that mm-hmm. and that was uh, a good deal that was over 10 years ago now uh yeah. probably 12 years ago now but um he his price was okay like i i ran some comps and i'm like you know his price is not great it's not like i'm getting a deal but what i really wanted was the seller financing so you can yeah. negotiate price or you can no- negotiate terms right this guy's and preaching either... the good the good word here price <laughs> or terms guys write that down you can't give yeah. both usually not and so i I decided I'm just going to give him his price. It was a fair price. It wasn't a fantastic price. But I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to talk about price. And so what I said to him, because I found out he owned the property for a while, a few decades. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, we probably has barely any debt on it. So I said, how about I give you, um, you know, a couple hundred thousand down. And I was going to, you know, I was selling this other property to make that happen. And then I, and then I will pay you 7,800 a month. And I've been taught to negotiate seller financing with dollars instead of interest rates because it sounds bigger. It sounds yeah. bigger to me saying I'll pay you seven thousand eight hundred a month than me saying I'll pay you four and a half percent or you know. Um, and he liked the idea. Uh, and I said, "Look, you'll have no responsibility. You are the bank. You're going to get your full purchase price, and the seventy eight hundred a month is just icing on the cake. It's just interest. I'm going to be paying you." Mm-hmm. And he liked it. And we did a 10-year seller finance with that. And it worked out great for me because I I renovated units as I went, increased the rents over those 10 years, sold it 10 years later, um, although it did get hit by a hurricane, which we can talk about. But yeah, I sold it 10 years later and, and did pretty well on it. Yeah. So uh, now that now that you seeded my interest, what's the story of a hurricane? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... As I go to sell that 48-unit building, uh, we put it on the market. We got three offers, 
And I was reviewing those offers on a Thursday evening. I get this news report and my maintenance guy is texting me and saying, hey, Hurricane Harvey's approaching the town right now. And that was Thursday night. Friday, Hurricane Harvey comes in full force and hits Victoria. And um, my maintenance guy is calling me. He's yelling. He's sending me videos of the rain going completely horizontal. It's not even touching the ground. Like this thing's yeah. just whipping through the town. It spent three days in the town. It ripped roofs off our buildings. It threw trees, you know, into the street. It, it turned the street into a river. It was a disaster. All three of those offers went away. And yeah. uh, I was left in crisis mode because I needed to sell that property to put the money into another property we were doing construction on. And now I was stuck with, um, you know, that property turning into a construction project. So I engaged with the insurance company, but they did not engage with me. They were overwhelmed. It was yeah. a, it was a regional company and they were not returning my calls. I then hired a public adjuster, which is someone who used to work for insurance companies and now they work for private individuals and yeah. they negotiate between you and the insurance company and they take a percentage of the claim he was getting nowhere and after months of just run around with the insurance company he told me look you're going to need an attorney and i've got one that specializes in insurance companies and hurricanes and i said all right i'll give that guy a call so i called him super busy guy because of harvey yeah. and he told me, look, Alan, I charge 40% of whatever I'll get you. And I thought, man, that's huge. That's a, that's a massive charge. And he said, look, you've already, they've already offered you. They, they offered me, let's say like, I think it was like about 90,000 and my damages were about 200 and something thousand. And so he said, they already offered you 90. I'm going to get you this additional money and I'm going to get my fees on top of that. I, this is all I do. And he said, who's your insurance company? And I told him, he said, oh, yeah, I've sued them before and, and I won. And I said, okay, you know what? You got the job. Like, you're hired. And uh, sure enough, he did win, but it took a year of, you know, fighting through the legal system. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is, he told me this is what some insurance companies do. They hope you're just going to go away. Yeah. Especially in something like that, you know, uh, they're like, okay, if we can uh, get rid of 40% of these things, if 40% yeah. of them just walk off uh, totally. because of like uh, complacency or just the giving up, then we can save millions of dollars, right? And then so if we lose a few, you know, in court and we have to pay a little more, you know, that's the the insurance company, uh, you know, especially if you're not like a national one, you know, if you're the, the regional right. insurance company, they don't make money by giving money back they make money by <laughs> right. taking money in so yeah, yeah that that's a that's a so what did you do you fix it up and then sold it yeah we were able to fix it uh with the insurance claim i actually left part of it um undone and was because of timing i needed to sell yeah. it quickly so some of it was unfinished so we made a documented list of what we didn't finish on the damage and provided estimates from third parties and still sold it at a, you know, at a good profit, you know, we'd owned it for 10 years. And so um, we were then able to move that money into a 74 unit that we were fixing up. So er earlier, I wanted to touch on this. You 
said that you recently sold something and you wanted to you put it in a 1031 exchange you have it sitting there did you end up moving it out is it still in the exchange no the exchange time frame ran out and that's the hardest part about those 1031 exchanges is right. you have i think you it's have a 45 year? days to oh, 45 identify days. the property and then you have the longer period is to purchase the ones you identify you've got 180 days so six months to purchase what you identify in that 45 day period. So it's, it's really tight. Um, and, um, we didn't, you know, we didn't fulfill that, but, um, but we have moved forward on other projects for sure. So usually, um, I would say almost always when you're in this business, as long as you've been and done the things that you've done, people are like, can you help me? So I imagine that happens. That has happened. We were talking a little bit before um, before we jumped on the call about that. Tell people a little bit about um, what you're doing now as far as like helping people. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoy speaking like you mm -hmm. invited me to come on and speak and teach. Um, it's really fun for me to help people grow, you know, to look back at where I was when I was getting started um, or even halfway through, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, wherever you are, it's just really fun to to teach. So I speak, I teach, um, I'm building out some courses, and uh, I just love what I do. It's it's a lot of fun, and it can be very profitable, but it's also um, really wise, I think, to learn from people that have gone before you. So that can be learning from me, but I'm learning from others, right? I've got a guy yeah. that's been doing this for 40 years. I, I call him Yoda. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and he's just like, I sit down and have lunch with him and he's just dropping things that I'm like, wow. And th that's, what's fun about this business is we're always learning and growing. Right. Yeah. I've got, I've got a mentor. I think he's like, he's trying to wind out his portfolio. I think he's like maybe 70 or 67 or something. And you can ask him questions like what was the eighties, uh, housing interest rate was like, cause we're seeing a pattern mm -hmm. and you can go to your mentor and be like, what was it like to do real estate when interest rates in Canada were 18%? And he's like, well, this is what I did. I pretty much went to people's houses and rented to own their entire life. I would buy their car off of them. I would pay their credit cards and I would get the house, the mortgage for the, the base rate and then rent the whole thing back to them, their house, their car, their whatever they had owned. And that's how I was able to, to work in that economy. And I was like, you know, these are the stories that, that if you don't have that mentorship of that 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 experience, you wouldn't even think about in two thousand. Let's say you know, let's look at the next three years as we as we look towards the future of real estate. Are we going to have to rent to own people's entire lives because the financials of the inflation on food, the inflation on fuel, the inflation on interest rates? Are we going to have to become um, not 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 so much real estate financers, but financers of these people's lives as the credit card company cuts them off. The bank cuts them off. Maybe they lose a job. And now their their whole thing is, you know, they have two cars. They've got five credit cards. They've got a mortgage that's coming up for the five-year renewal. Like, now what? Right. Totally. We have to think outside the box. We have to get creative. We, you know, banks are not the only way to buy real estate, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many ways to creatively finance uh, that story I just shared about seller financing is just one, 
but there's so many ways to just not even have to deal with the bank. The interest rates don't even matter in some situations and everything becomes negotiable. And so you can create deals where other people can't see them. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And just thinking about that, like, you know, a lot of people are sitting around trying to buy interest rates. They're like, oh, this person's got like three years on a five year still. <clears throat> Pardon me. And, you know, your story got me thinking, what about the person who owns it free and clear? Like they can give you a loan. What about, um, you know, uh, option considerations? What about renting to own properties without controlling them, keeping the thing subject to like really creative, you know, people say creative finance, but really what's I think going to be most important coming forward is finance is always there, but the word creative, we need to get creative as the economy is shifting and I, I sometimes wonder if the big banks actually know what they're doing. I think they're just like, well, let's turn this knob and that knob and see what happens totally. on the market. So, you know, we do have to get creative. And, uh, you know, you, historically, it sounds like you've been a very create, creative guy. So, Al, if people want to get a hold of you, they want to learn more about your journey, they want to talk to you, they want your help, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. They can go to alsebs.com, which is my nickname. That's A-L-S-I-E-B-S.com. That's also my handle on YouTube. So youtube.com slash alsebs. Any of those will work. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show. And uh, until next time, guys, we'll see you on the next episode.